Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos view the latest streaming releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have four movies for you today. The Father, Another Round, Moxie, and Breaking News in Yuba County. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... The pandemic is too short for that mess. Jason, how are you? How are you doing? Well, thanks for asking. I am doing all right. Uh, You know, last night I watched a movie that we're not reviewing, and I think technically is still considered a TV movie, although, of course, those lines are blurred like never before. But I watched the Tina Turner documentary, the new one that HBO uh, has just released. Did you watch that yet? Oh, yeah. It just came out. No, I have not. Oh, it is very, very good. Uh, it is, you know, it, it, it's really sort of meant to be her her last word on her public life. It kind of oh. at the end of it, she and her husband essentially say that, like, this is it. This is her final farewell to her sort of public persona. Uh, so this is it. Um, this is this is this is where things end for the the saga of Tina Turner. And once they got to that point in the documentary, I got very emotional thinking that this is the last we'll ever have of her in public. Uh, she's given so much, and the film uh, does a really great job uh, sort of contextualizing what it was like for her after uh, she started her solo career to be repeatedly questioned about Ike and the abuse. Mm. And so it's it's sort of another one of those cases of a of a revisiting a, a story we all know from a more modern, more sensitive lens. Uh, of course, back then we didn't have words like re-traumatizing, um, but now it is abundantly clear that that is what was done to her over and over and over again. All those years was just re-traumatizing every time people would force her to talk about that. And um, you know, in 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 it's it, it's just it's 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 fascinating. Uh, you know, they show clips from her doing interviews for all kinds of different things. They show her doing an interview for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, where she is seated next to Mel Gibson doing a junket interview, and a journalist says, "So Ike was just arrested on cocaine charges," and she's like, "Oh," and she and they're like, "Any, any comment?" And she's like, "I don't want bad things for him. I would like to hear that he's doing well." And they're like, well, OK. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's it just sort of never ends. And it, 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 there's there's these sort of cruel ironies where the reason that she first wrote her memoir with Kurt Loder, who was interviewed, always a throwback to see Kurt Loder, mm-hmm. uh, is because she wanted to just have the story out there once and for all. So she wouldn't have to be asked about it over and over and over again. Mm. And, then unfor- and then unfortunately, putting it in a book just meant people were going to talk about it for the rest of her life. Right, exactly. Uh, and then when the book became a movie, even more so. Uh, so it's 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 just, it's really, really uh, fascinating stuff to go in and to sort of experience her life all over again from a sort of a 2021 perspective. Uh, and she she does new interviews for it, so we could see her uh, in her 80s in her gorgeous home in Zurich. Uh, it is, yeah, all in all, just a wonderful tribute uh, and remembrance of the staggering achievements of her life. So, highly recommend it. Uh, Rebecca, what is up with you? I feel like on the on the other end of that timeline, I've been watching. I think the first two episodes are out of the. Uh, Demi Lovato um, <gasps> TV. It's like a, uh, yeah, it's YouTube. a TV. Is it? It's a YouTube original, so it's kind of like TV, but it's yeah. uh, it is so good. Um, I don't know much about Demi Lovato. Um, I think you know they show some concert footage at the beginning, and it's one of those. Oh, she sings that one. Yeah, I played it. Swagger once. <laughs> um, where this is coming like two, almost three years after her overdose experience. And um, she's able to, you know, kind of get a bit of the 2020 lens and a bit of the agency over the story um, a bit sooner. But um, so I feel like, yeah, the timeline is 
the Tina Turner, and then it's like the Britney Spears story where, you know, we're now looking back again at how we, how we, um, handled that. And, and, and not that the, the Demi Lovato story and isn't, wasn't handled poorly and, you know, wasn't, um, ripe for consumption and, you know, fun making by, um, the public, but, uh, it's just, it's so, um, vulnerable and straightforward and, um, it, it's, it's just really good. Um, mm. you, you, I, I, you know, I, I think that if, if, if you have judgments about people with, the, with addiction, um, this is a really, uh, good way to sort of maybe some, find some empathy about the situation, um, that folks are going through. It was, it was really good. I, it's only two episodes in. I don't know how many there are. I think another one comes out like in a couple of days, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Celebrities, yeah, I, they're people too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really interested to watch that as well. I, I've never been a particularly big fan of hers. Um, but you know, this sort of, um, just very honest public reckoning she's been having since that last huge overdose and all the terrible sort of, um, aftershocks it had on her body. Uh, she did a performance, I think last year at the Grammys, uh, uh, the one that Alicia Keys hosted right before everything shut down. She sang, she sang the song, I think it's called anything. Um, and it is the first song on the new album and it was probably the most just vulnerable, vulnerable, just nakedly emotional performance I've seen in a very long time. Mm. Um, and she, and she is a belter and I, of course I appreciate that. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, well, I guess our, our, what's up with us is female singers and their trauma. So, <laughs> <laughs> because this is what a gay podcast. So <laughs> definitely, um, shall we to the official movies of the, uh, of the week? Let's do it. Uh, the first movie this week is the father. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. So the first, we kind of broke these out into the first two movies this week are um, Oscar nominees. And then Mm -hmm. the last two are not. (laughs) (laughs) And it never will be. Right. Yeah, that's a good way. Good way to break it down. Uh, yeah. Of these four movies, only the father is sort of really a truly new release. Another round's been a while around for a while. Um, our second film, uh, it, it got kind of one big giant surprise Oscar nomination. So I was like, okay, let's let's talk about that one. And the other two are just yeah, recent releases, <laughs> semi recent. Some have been around for months, but you know what? We're running on fumes here. <laughs> so we're doing what we can. But, uh, but we're starting with this, the strongest uh, title uh, uh, by our traditional standards, and that is The Father. It, it, I think The Father is also one of those, um, it, it's complicating my timeline of Oscar season, much like the main character, Anthony, in the movie. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've been hearing about this movie because from the Golden Globes, and and I had I thought it was out, but it's, it just came out this Friday, so... Um, we're recording this on Sunday, so like two days ago on VOD. VOD, so paid um, PVOD, I think you call it in the in the yes. biz. Right, so for premium, premium. Wait, VOD. so everyone was talking about this, but it wasn't out yet. But it's nominated, and I know that happens sometimes. Well, what year is it? I don't know. <laughs> Are you my daughter? <laughs> so you were watching this movie, just like man, same. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Also, our, our our second dimension movie in as many episodes. Yeah. Uh, this one taking you much further, much, much, much deeper into the interiority of the experience uh, than uh, our last one, Supernova. Uh, yeah, the father I had already seen just because I had gotten a screener for it for our sort of end of year consideration for my now two critics groups that I'm in. Uh, so I had seen it a few months back. And it, you know, it made a, a massive, massive impression on me. Uh, this is this is a, a a staggeringly powerful film, um, and probably one of the best stage to screen adaptations in recent memory. Mm. I bet this uh, would have been amazing to see on stage. Yes, yes, I was uh, I was just reading that apparently Frank Langella played the part, played the lead mm. um, on Broadway. 
who we last saw as the villainous judge in Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been nice to see him suffer a little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but instead, we have Anthony Hopkins uh, giving possibly the crowning performance of his entire career. And mm. uh, in, uh, in what is just one of the most crowded, competitive best actor races in ages uh, between him for this, between uh, between uh, sorry, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey, between Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Like these are three of the best performances ever, period. Uh, so it's brutal that they're pit against each other uh, in this race. But Anthony Hopkins, at this point, I believe he is 83 years old, and this mm. is the kind of performance he is still capable of giving. It's remarkable. It's it's funny that he's um, uh, paired against Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, because this is kind of the Sound of Metal of dementia, would mm. you say? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah, in, in, in that Sound of Metal really takes you into uh, the experience of this particular disability uh, and shows you just, you know, sort of shows you what it's like to walk in the shoes of the person who is going through it, uh, you know, up to and including the actual sound itself, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so you have that visceral experience of what it is to gradually lose your hearing and then what it is to, uh, you know, get a cochlear implant and, uh, all of that. Similarly, the father, uh, you know, draws you in in a way that in some ways feels almost more more troubling, if only because, you know, hearing loss, at least cognitively, you can understand. But when your mind itself starts to go the way that we see it happening through Hopkins character in this film, uh, it is it is bracing. It is bracing. And the film Similarly to, I think, the way we, we speak so, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, euphorically of the sound design in mm-hmm. Sound Metal, so also I think we would speak of the editing for this film. Mm. And and just the, the choices made, I would, I would assume that they're also from the original screenplay around um, who he's sharing the scene with and mm-hmm. who you are led to believe that they are. I, right. I definitely had a period of time in this movie where I thought it was a different kind of movie um, in that I thought that maybe there was um, – I wasn't sure if it was a, a crime movie or if it was mm. kind of a um, – just like, you know, the straightforward telling of uh, a biography. Again, dancing around, trying not to give too much away, but – Right. I wasn't sure if I was necessarily in on the story or if I was being fooled. Right, 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 exactly. And and, and that's part of the film's genius uh, and its, its adeptness at drawing us into uh, the experience of this man who is suffering from dementia and who does start to think that sort of everyone is out to get him, that people are doing this to him. Uh, you know, his mind is trying to explain uh, to itself these 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 things that are not making sense in what he is seeing in the changing faces that he's seeing in the changing environment that he's in uh and so and his mind is is just doing its best to explain that and all he can do is come out accusing uh accusing people of of taking advantage of him accusing them of misleading him accusing them of gaslighting him uh it is it is certainly uh Anyone who who does not have a sense of what it would be like to to go through dementia will absolutely have a sense after they after they watch this film. Um, it definitely took a, took me back to our conversation about Supernova, mm-hmm. and you know, in my sort of uh, you know my 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 feelings that the decision made by Tucci's character was going a little too far. Uh, you know, viewing it in contrast to this, you know, uh, it is I, I can definitely just experience more through the empathy, the empathy that comes with really great art. Uh, you know, why a person would do that to avoid being subjected to this. Mm. Uh, even one thing I was reading was saying that this movie gets dementia right also in the sense that a person's personality and their intelligence don't go away. That's not mm-hmm. what dementia is. 
you know, mm-hmm. like, so, so my whole thing about like, oh, well, Tucci, he, he's still himself and he still has, has his personality and he still has a, you know, so I see now that that was kind of beside the point um, because mm-hmm. that those are not things are necessarily taken down by dementia, um, you know, and that's part of what's so, uh, you know, horrifying about it for the loved ones, because it still seems like they're there. Right. Uh, you know, they just don't necessarily know who's around them. So, uh, but this, this film is not. This film was also less of a bummer than Supernova, I would say, in a way, um, if only because it contains, I think, a much broader emotional palette of, of highs and lows. There are moments of humor. Uh, there are moments of just transcendence. Uh, it is it is really just just a masterclass. It's also a directorial debut. What? Yeah. Uh, so it is directed by Florian Zeller, who wrote the play that it's based on. So this is his first feature film out as a director. Uh, it's which is, I mean, astonishing, just astonishing. That's that's so hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's such a it's such a complicated story. Um, I mean, I guess you have the benefit of having some of the best actors in the world. Um, uh, you know, leading with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman. Mm-hmm. Um, your favorite, Imogen Poots. <laughs> yes. My yes, favorite, Olivia Williams. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 I am a noted Poots head, and you. Uh, and I, I thought it was ingenious that they cast two yes. different Olivias, <laughs> who are also not that dissimilar looking. No, no, not at all. You can absolutely see them playing sort of the same person at different ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's 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 an incredible cast. Um, it is every technical detail of the film is is meticulous and perfect. Uh, and yeah, I mean, is it is it a light watch? No, no, it no. isn't at all. But but there's something about the craft of how it's made that is so dazzling that it pulls you along as a cinematic achievement, even though what you're watching is emotionally really challenging. Right. The end. Because it does. The oh. end sort of lands, I would say, with has the most emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he's sort of, um, you know, talking to his nurse. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's devastating. And again, not enough can be said about Hopkins in this film. Just can't no. can't say enough. Um, and uh, and you know, it does have. To your point, it moves along almost like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you're watching it, you feel like you you could be watching Memento. Uh, you know, like it is it is it is remarkable the sort of different bits of genre that they incorporate as they unspool this very sort of. Uh, you know, puzzle box narrative. So, uh, yeah, this is just incredible. It's it's one of the I don't know which year to to attribute it to. <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically, it's coming out this year uh, for awards consideration. It's last year, but regardless, it's just one of the best films of either year. I would say it's 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 astonishing, astonishing work. Um, yeah, I was I was interested to see if like how you thought about this in in contrast or um, in the context of Supernova. I think that, you know, kind of the, the what's portrayed here is is the inevitable result of, you know, Stanley Tucci's character's life in that movie. And I think knowing how much of a daily torture it is to n- not understand reality and to be frustrated with everything because you don't understand anything and then to ultimately be so scared and, and alone um, because you don't um, understand who anybody is. Um is is you know um, probably one of the worst things that could that you would have to kind of you know deal with as a person. Um, so, right. Right. Um, and I, and I felt like as someone who had you know has uh, seen a, a few family members struggle with dementia, it, it is you know there are a lot of behaviors and um, uh, that are are kind of universal, um, and I feel like this movie does capture those painfully mm. well. Mm. Well. Was it? Yeah. So this 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 movie resonated with your your personal experience of, of it dementia. Did. It yeah. did. And even in, in again even in that you know I think for the I think that hits the hardest probably towards the end at some points in the middle in his interactions with his daughter, um, mm. but um, but mostly I agree that there is so much more that's interesting about the movie and 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 takes you as you said along that it isn't just sitting with that for 
you know, two hours. Right, right, exactly. Uh, Rebecca, what are you going to give this? This is getting a binge it for me, definitely. Binge it for me as well. It is available to rent on uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, and it is rated PG-13. Movie number two is Another Round. Four high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. So it's interesting that you actually also did this experiment um, <laughs> in, in Q1. Uh, how did that work out for you? Q1. <laughs> you know, fiscally, it was challenging uh, in, in terms of my fiscal quarter. Uh, but, uh, you know, but in terms of my emotional quarter, <laughs> also challenging. Uh, yes. So this is, uh, as I alluded to, uh, a, another movie that we are including for its Oscar nominations, uh, of which it received two, which is one more than people thought it would. Uh, it was it was a lock for foreign language uh, category and will almost certainly win in that category. However, what it pulled off was a surprise nomination in the best director category for Danish great Thomas Vinterberg. Uh, not on anyone's radar. Uh, and every now and then the director's branch will, you know, will include uh, sort of an unexpected international contender in this category. And this is one of those years. Uh, and, you know, I can't say that I was, uh, I can't say that I was bummed to see him in there. I, I, I'm a fan of this movie and I, I it's, it is, it is a little surprising since the film did not get a best picture nomination, and so ultimately only four of the, I think, eight Best Picture nominees are accounted for in the director category. Uh, but all the same, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I think it's great that he made it in. This movie is, <laughs> it is it's one of those foreign language films that could also just really work as an American crossover for folks who don't normally watch international films. Mm. Just, be, just because it feels so much like an American movie in a way, since we have such a... We have such a fondness for movies about like groups of male friends who are middle aged, who are um, kind of reclaiming their youth in some sort of wild hogs fashion. <laughs> um, you know, The Hangover and, you know, any of these movies about like groups of male friends behaving badly. Uh, you know, this is the Danish answer to that. Um, and accordingly, of course, has much more emotional nuance than those movies do. And everyone is uh, much better dressed and <laughs> the houses are more beautiful and um, they have a much more mature relationship with each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like those things, but much better is what we're saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, this is sort of just like a this is a really ingenious take on the midlife crisis movie. Uh, and just a fascinating contemplation of sort of alcohol culture. Uh, you know, like what what is alcohol consumption? What is the relationship that we all have to it? Uh, what do we look to it to accomplish? Uh, and, you know, in this kind of wild gambit of this kind of like out there scientific study suggesting that the human, you know, that human blood uh, should have a higher alcohol level in it just as a resting baseline. And that, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like microdosing, right? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, it's like this thing of like, oh, like, you know, just like we all we all love it when we can find scientific studies that tell us that that, that our vices are actually good for us. You um, can still drinking that butter coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm, exactly. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, it was like, I, I spent years doing keto. Uh, and butter coffee is a foundational uh, cornerstone of keto. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so this film, we have Mads Mikkelsen in, oh, I mean, he's always so good, but he so rarely gets to play a character who isn't, uh, at least in a lot of the stuff that I've seen him in, he tends to, he gets a lot of villains. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, because of his whole vibe, but, <laughs> <laughs> but in this, we get to see him just sort of cut loose as this, just, you know, this, this, this guy, uh, you know, who wants to try drinking every day for a while and see if that, uh, improves his quality of life. It's relatable who among us. Uh, so, uh, and we just kind of follow in things, you know, it's not the most surprising movie things, you know, more or less go the way you might think they would go. Um, but it's still such a pleasure going on this journey with these characters. It really is. It's, um, I mean, there, it is hilarious. Um, it is also, you know, filled with uh, tension. These four characters are all school teachers. So there is, 
um, you know, an element of when are they going, when or how, or if they're going to get caught, um, how far they're going to take it, how, you know, risky it is for them in, in their career. And, and then as they continue to kind of turn it up to see what happens, all, you know, all in the name of science, um, mm-hmm. how it ends up affecting, affecting their lives. But it is, it is a, I think, a, a wonderful mix of uh, humor and, um, you know, de- addressing depression and um, just kind of the difficulties of trying to restart yourself when there's so many things going on in life that depend on, on you and, and how do you kind of break out of, of a time when you're, you know, maybe depressed or maybe in a rut um, in a way that isn't going to, you know, just tank <laughs> your entire life. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I found this to be just, a, a, you know, a bold movie. I thought it was bold, uh, the way that it approaches the subject matter, uh, the way that it depicts it sort of being borne out. Uh, I feel like it had, it does have a sort of um, a more, I guess you could say, you know, European, Scandinavian depiction of its characters and their relationship with alcohol. Uh, if only because, you know, there's a real lack of cock rock on the soundtrack as we watch them going on their vendors mm-hmm. together. <laughs> right. And it's also that they're like, you know, I think when they first kind of start even getting into this discussion, they're drinking, you know, like finely made vodka with caviar. Right, right. Exactly. Champagne. They're not like, you know, busting clear lights <laughs> on their heads. Like I was yes, and, before this. Right, right, right. You know, not so much as a lick of ACDC anywhere to be heard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mostly classical music mostly classical and uh and this film also is a it, it, it's a sort of a great uh example of why maybe every movie should end with a big dance number mm. uh you know i i think i know we we took issue with the truth uh the Catherine Deneuve film for having a dance number kind of just seemingly in a very arbitrary place <laughs> in the middle of the narrative wow, that was now so now, if that film had ended with a dance number, I actually think it would have been great. Uh, yeah, like, you know, definitely. the movie ends with them all just sort of like traipsing across the lawn. If they had just broken into dance in that in that lawn, I would have been like, OK, like I'm enjoying this. Uh, and this film has a very ebullient dance number uh, in its final scene in which we are reminded that Mads Mikkelsen is actually a trained dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, they, and then they that, tease you with that from the beginning. Uh, I mean, if you if you know he's a, a trained dancer, you know, they sort of tease that his character was as well, and mm-hmm. you're just wondering if it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> there's also a great dance number of uh, you know four white Danish men drunkenly dancing to funk <laughs> while they uh, pound Sazeracs, which was amazing. <laughs> I mean, that was that was my last trip to New Orleans. Uh, so, uh, this is a binge it for me, Rebecca, what do you say? <laughs> Fittingly, it's also a binge for me. <laughs> <laughs> the most, the most bingey binge we've ever given. This was, this was, ab- this was great. Um, it was just so, so nice to see a, an interesting vehicle to take you into, you know, the study of a midlife crisis and, um, you know, relationship issues and, um, friendship. It was it was delightful and and sad, but it was it was mostly delightful. Agreed. Um, another round is available for rent. Also, Apple, Amazon, um, uh, Google Movies, and unrated. But yeah, probably a PG thirteen. Um, movie number three. Speaking of teenagers, is Moxie. Inspired by her mom's rebellious past and a confident new friend. A shy teenager publishes an anonymous zine calling out sexism at her school. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, Moxie. Moxie, Moxie, Moxie. Uh, Well, so I'll start by saying that I was able to deeply enjoy my experience of watching this movie by just sort of shutting off certain parts of my brain. <laughs> uh, I I have never been happier to be pandered to in my life than I was by this movie. Uh, as somebody who uh, has nothing but nostalgia for uh, 90s Riot Girl era stuff, um, and as somebody who one of my best friends in high school did have a zine, 
not unlike Moxie. It was called Mickey's Dent, and uh, and we all just loved it. So to imagine kids today getting a big dose of 90s Riot Girl stuff and dancing around playing Kathleen Hanna and her various iterations, you know, I mean, it's it's just it's just I couldn't have a better fantasy than that. So uh, so, you know, those aspects of the movie, I certainly uh, enjoyed very much. You know, it felt like a very it was like a Gen Z Foxfire at times, um, you know, uh, it, which is, you know, one of my great calling card films of my youth and of the 90s, in which we also have a film about a group of sort of outsider girls at a school with a really sort of villainous patriarchy uh, calling the shots. Uh, and these girls kind of splinter off and form their own community uh, on the outskirts. It's 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 a considerably darker uh, film than this one is, and uh, it's a bit has a bit more courage in depicting what the sort of guys do uh, than than this film, where it's kind of saved for uh, a bombshell in the final moments that I, I kind of saw coming, uh, but. You know, this movie obviously has uh, some some challenges in terms of its optics. Uh, it it tries so very, very, very hard uh, to be inclusive, um, but ultimately still can't help but center, uh, you know, a white character. And it is a white character whose zine that she makes anonymously is the thing that brings them all together. And in the whole optics of a story about a white female girl, you know, white, a white girl who is a writer who uses her writing to empower and uplift women of color, it didn't not remind me of the help. Huh. <laughs> uh, since that was about also uh, a young white girl uh, who empowers communities of, of color uh, around her by using her writing uh, to tell their stories and to lift them up. So it's not it's not not like that. Uh, Rebecca, what, what do you think? Oh, this movie was incredibly frustrating. I actually just remembered to look up how old the the main actress is. Um, no, Haley Robinson. Uh-huh. Uh, she's twenty six. And um, what? Yes. <laughs> I would not have guessed that she was oh, that. I mean, wow, wow. My, the running joke when we were watching it was that she was 32. So what? Um, I'm actually surprised <laughs> that she's 26. Oh my god, wow. She did not. She did not register as old to me at all. I thought she was very believable as a teenager. Mm, no. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> teach <laughs> them. You're like, no, no, she did not. Wow, that's wild. She it reminds me of somebody I work with who's like getting married now, and I was like, I can't get out of my head that she's. In her mid thirties, um, but she is twenty six, so uh, I wasn't totally wrong. Um, so I think that the best thing I can say about this movie is that, like, it could be a good uh, companion to the movies that you see on Netflix that are like The Kissing Booth and other um, young adult, young adult. Yeah, young adult stories, and and this one, you know, is is one with like you know a, a positive message, but I mean, I understand, um, you know, sometimes going for the pander and, and just being like, I will put on these blinders because you're showing me Kathleen Hanna. And, but it's just, it's ridiculous. The, the, the villain character played by Patrick Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. um, is such a villain character. It's almost like a satire of a teenage movie, how, how like evil he is and um, how, you know, good the, the, the good male character is the you know the the woke nice shy mm-hmm. boy football quarterback bad guy his best friend is black and his like catchphrases look like they came out of like scary movie type black sidekick catchphrase book the main character goes through her you know revelation and her growth and in a, in a kind of ridiculous way it's felt very like oh we need to make a woke movie in like 20 minutes <laughs> interesting I, this is the opposite, I think, of like a movie that would pander to me as one who doesn't necessarily look to high school films um, <laughs> and w- lovingly. But um, this yeah, one in particular. Anyone, you are an adult. If anyone says otherwise, they are lying. <laughs> I'm like the opposite. I swear I'm over 26. Um, <laughs> nobody thinks otherwise, though. Um, <laughs> it just feels pretty, pretty cheap and doesn't really have a lot of depth. But 
you know, I think if you are a young adult, this is one to add to the list. I think you could, could you know, open your mind a little bit. But um, otherwise, I would say. No. Well, so the thing about uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger's character, uh, I, I agree that there are the moments that he has when he is sort of alone uh, with the the new girl character uh, do seem they struck me as very sort of over the top mustache twirling supervillain. The things that I appreciated about his performance and the way that the character was written is when it's when he was kind of using the the current Republican playbook. Uh, for his talking points, where oh, he would sure, talk yeah. about the way, you know, being victimized by woke culture uh, and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, the, the first time that he really goes to war with this um, this young black girl who has moved to the school, uh, you know, she is speaking of an English class um, to criticize the selection of The Great Gatsby as a, as a reading choice. And he commences to talk over her and launches into basically a Tucker Carlson monologue uh about you know why do we have to you know bury this this text that is universally acknowledged as a little literary classic that means so much to so da 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 um you know just sort of your classic you know faux sincere bad faith argument so i felt like there were aspects of uh of that that were really on point uh for a movie that takes place right now uh, and I thought that the young actors uh, playing the sort of the group of, uh, of of girls had a lot of charm and a lot of energy. And I, I, I had a, a great time watching them all uh, sort of bounce off each other. Uh, Josie Toda uh, is one of the girls. Uh, she is also in the new state by the bell, as is uh, the the new girl who sort of starts the whole thing off. Both of them are on that new version of Saved by the Bell, which is very, very funny. Oh, is it? Uh, mm-hmm. It's super, super funny. Um, so, but I did find myself, I did bump up against the whole love interest of it all. Uh, you know, mm. I appreciated that he was a character of color, um, but, you know, it really took me back to Promising Young Woman and just made me appreciate all the more how bold and brilliant Promising Young Woman is in sort of eviscerating that character type. Um, you know, the seeming, the nice guy who's there to remind you that not all, hashtag not all men, um, you know, so and of course, like not that there isn't uh, something to be learned from showing what an ally can look like, which I think is, you know, something that character does quite well. Uh, but at the same time, ultimately prioritizing, you know, not only centering the white girl, but also her relationship with the boy. It's like, OK, well, what are we doing here, though? Like, what is what is the point of this? Um, but, you know, back to what you were saying, this is ultimately a young adult film that is targeted uh, at the age group that it depicts. Uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, there who, who might not be watching Promising Young Woman yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so if this, you know, if this helps, uh, develop that sort of like collective consciousness in Gen Z kids, then that would be a fantastic thing. You already mentioned the soundtrack to this movie and it is stellar and there is a standout. You're introduced to a band called the Linda Lindas. <laughs> Weren't they adorable? They were wonderful. They sure were. They sure were. They're um, the real band. That's that's amazing. I mean, they their their performance of the uh, of Rebel Girl uh, was was fantastic. The voice, my goodness, mm-hmm. uh, quite ferocious. Uh, so I, I definitely want to look them up. Uh, it was whenever they're playing the Bikini Kill th- uh, songs throughout the movie. I was like waiting to hear if they would like censor or go around like the bad words. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And for Rebel Girl, I think they included her singing Dyke at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then for um, for Double Daria, they they made a point of editing around girl fucking friend, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so the very which I, in a way kind of encapsulates what's the problem with this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is that it ultimately doesn't really quite have the full backbone of you know of the movement that it is trying to evoke and translate for for Gen Z crowds. Uh, so, you know, directed by Amy Poehler, who also plays the mom, as always, her heart's in the right place. Uh, and, you know, I think in all told, I think you, it sounds like you maybe had more of a problem with movie, this movie than I did. Uh, I still generally truly had a wonderful time watching it. Um, <laughs> but, but also, but again, I'm, it, I'm just, yeah, I am like, I could not be more the target for this as somebody who loves high school movies, as somebody who endlessly fetishizes the Riot Girl 90s. Uh, I mean, this, just this like is, they were intended to be consumed, <laughs> exactly. fetishized by gay white men. 
Exactly. <laughs> you get it. Uh, but uh, so I'm to me, this is this is a consume plus, but uh, go right ahead. Oh, it's a it's a send it back. OK. <laughs> it is uh, it's on Netflix and it's rated PG-13. Our last movie is Breaking News in Yuba County. A woman takes advantage of her growing celebrity status when the police and the public think her dead husband is just missing. I didn't know this movie existed um, when you were like, let's, how about this one? You know, I just kind of like looked it up quickly and saw who was in it. And it's Allison Janney, Mila Kunis, Regina Hall, Aquafina, Wanda Sykes, Ellen Barkin. I'm reading clearly. Matthew Modine. Um, Juliet and Lewis. I said, Juliette Lewis. And Bridget Everett. Bridget and Everett. I said, absolutely, we're going to launch this one. Uh, <laughs> The answer to who is in it is everyone, literally everyone. It's a Dreamcast, mm-hmm. not the not the not the Sony PlayStation knockoff, but it is a Dreamcast. <laughs> However, I I think uh, when I like you know looked it up on my smart TV to 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 find it to start watching it, I saw that it has had like eleven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That's right. And was very confused. Um, and then I watched it, and I will say, I am still very confused. Really? At the 11%. Because it's too high? No. <laughs> what? Okay, yes, of course. We saw this cast, and we said, is it going, oh, my God, this has. This is going to be Drop Dead Gorgeous style. Cult, quotable, most hilarious movie. Is it that? No, it's not. It is not. But- but does it have a reunion of two of those cast members? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene with Allison Janney and Ellen Barkin together, yeah. and it fed my soul. <laughs> so maybe uh, this is the movie that's pandering to me, where I'm <laughs> looking to put on a lot of blinders um, of maybe the things that didn't work and um, and be very upset that people thought it was 11%. Come on. <laughs> Well, uh, so, yes, I, I also was um, I was aware of this movie um, and, you know, I think I had heard about it when the casting announcements were going out because, it, you know, it was so many of just my favorite actors all just piling all one up. News alerts for going off at once. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, my God, like I need to I need to restart my computer. Too many emails all <laughs> at once. Um, and uh, so and then it's directed by Tate Taylor. And that was sort of the first hint. It's like, oh, which way is this going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, because Tate Taylor has kind of been all over the map. Uh, he, once again, directed The Help. <laughs> uh, uh, went on to direct uh, the James Brown uh, biopic, uh, Get On Up, with uh, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, so then uh, then he made Ma. He made Ma. Oh, okay. <laughs> So that was that was definitely, uh, you know, that was the uh, the biggest left turn uh, in his career so far. But, you know, coming off of Ma, which is nothing if not one of the sort of most committed, deranged black comedies in recent memory. Uh, it seemed like, oh, OK, like he's really hitting his stride on the more comedic front. And he's gotten this just absolute dream cast to make this sort of dark crime caper. Um, you know, what could go wrong? Uh, you know, some things some things went wrong. Um, I was, and I, I was warned. I think this came out, I think, on the exact same day as Barb and Star. And, you know, so it was a sort of embarrassment of riches for sort of like female driven ensemble comedies. Um, but friend of the show, Andrew Hamp, uh, texted me to warn me about how absolutely terrible this movie was. Um, and I, you know, I was, so I, you know, I took that under advisement. I was like, well, I'm still going to watch it because I mean, it's this cast. And as I start the movie, which I I should note, I just watched this morning. Um, as I start the movie, um, the, I was, you know, for the first, uh, you know, 20 or or 30 minutes or so, I was like, I'm enjoying this, you know, like this is, it just kind of felt really goofy and playful and kind of, you know, kind of low stakes, even though it was still about life and death stuff. Um, you know, just about these sort of, um, you know, sort of quirky, uh, you know, aimless Southern characters. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the performances across the board were engaging uh, and interesting and fun. So I, I but, you know, I was starting to notice just little moments of discord here and there where I was like, oh, well, that didn't land exactly. Or like, well, that doesn't quite make sense. 
And as it went on, you know, it became pretty clear that the screenplay for this is kind of awful. Uh, the plotting does not make sense. The characters' motivations uh, don't really track from scene to scene. Uh, it is it is it is it is tough in that regard. And where it really started to lose me was how violent it got. Mm. Uh, this is I was this movie is a fucking bloodbath, and mm-hmm. I would not have thought that's what I was getting into with this. And the movie tonally does not prepare you for that. And it does not. So, so tonally, it feels like a mess. You do not sense watching this movie that it's going to become like another sort of Coen Brothers burn after reading situation to kind of go back to we alluded to that. Mm. And I think our, our I care a lot review. Um, and, you know, it, it ultimately is that kind of very black hearted nihilistic story. Um, and going into it, that is not at all what I thought I was getting. And I don't think the movie did a good job of necessarily setting up that complete shift tonally into just really savage violence against a cast of really delightful comic actors that you don't necessarily want to see brutally murdered on screen. So that's kind of where it really lost me. Interesting. Yeah, it, it doesn't, uh, it, it definitely starts off lighthearted until kind of the you know like the main real crime boss starts getting involved and then things kind of go south really fast violence wise um, like the the playing ends and the and the the brutal killing begins I, I agree that this was definitely you know not the film it could have been and I, I totally agree that it's the story um, it doesn't quite make sense I think it it made sense enough in the you know comedy of errors miscommunication caper that's always uh, a delight to me. Uh, I love a good mix-up. I love a good miscommunication <laughs> that leads to tragic uh, results. Yeah, some of some of the story doesn't. It, you're not exactly sure why certain people are so. But I think that the Wanda Sykes character is kind of a good example. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although Wanda Sykes and Ellen Barkin, I I still think this movie makes up in in that is a collection of vignettes, and some of them are really hilarious some of them are not mm-hmm. but some of them are so funny that it it as a whole works for me to be able to see these things regina hall also consistently throughout the movie amazing hilarious her little her like outfits and her i, I was thinking about how much how fun it was probably for her to make this movie to be like not really acting like a cop but acting like a cop you know doing the whole like you know gun out exploration of a house but you know they weren't giving her notes to be like well a real cop would do this you know it was like go play a cop uh in her little button-up shirts and right. I, I just I I was entertained the whole time. Yeah, there I mean, there are the performances are generally yeah pretty solid across the board. Uh, I mean, Allison Janney is this is this is kind of a great leading performance from her. You know, we we have yeah. Allison Janney frequently gets supporting parts in this. She's the lead, and the movie doesn't even come close to rising to the level of her performance. But her performance is unimpeachable all the same. Um, Juliet Lewis is playing a Nancy Grace type character. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and is hilarious. Like Scott briefly walked in while I was watching it just in time to see Allison Janney pleading her case to her. And she's like, there's, there's, I have a missing person. And the way Julie Lewis says, is it a missing child? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, always wonderful to see Bridget Everett uh, get film parts uh, as well as her dog, Poppy, who is also mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. Poppy, uh, Poppy remains the only animal Instagram account that I follow. So I'm always excited to see Poppy uh, uh, find his way into these uh, into Bridget's films. And she starts um, off with a scene that is true to her, <laughs> true to her stand-up. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, but yeah, by by the end, I I really was just angry. I was just angry uh, at this movie for the violence and for um, the you know killing these 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 characters in in kind of really brutal ways. Uh, that it just, it, it, you know, it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. I think is probably the, the best way I could put my, my feelings about this movie. Like it just, the, the, it just left a really bitter, bitter taste in my mouth. How do you um, think about this compared to the movie we just referenced? Um, Moxie? <laughs> <laughs> How do you compare this to the father? Um, right. Uh, no. I care a lot. 
I care a lot. Yes. Uh, well, so that movie uh, did not bug me in any of those ways at all because that movie's tone had a very sinister feel to it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, so we knew from the beginning in that movie that it was in, you know, in in the filmmaking, in the score, in the editing, in Rosamund Pike's performance, that this was not this was going to be a story, a savage movie about savage people. Whereas this movie looks like fucking Steel Magnolias as it's getting started. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you think you're just going to be watching this sort of just like loose goofball southern ensemble comedy. Uh, so in in no way did I feel like it set up what it actually became. Whereas I care a lot. I think the way that I care a lot ratchets up the tension and the violence as it goes on is not is 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 set up by the filmmaking and by the performances whereas this seems like it's a different movie entirely when it begins versus when it ends mm, it doesn't mesh well but i think that that does kind of explain that's the story though right it's a, it's a woman who is uh, forgotten by everybody who um it just you know gets the the short straw in life every time who find some attention kind of innocently sorts to, to move some things around. And then like the repercussions of her actions. And, uh, as she starts to commit more and more to this, these, these lies ends up taking this really brutal turn. I think there's a, a bit in there worked for me as the, like, yes, it was very, you know, graphic and brutal, but it was also, and it's all because this very lonely, um, forgotten woman is, is, is finding love. It's there's something about that I found I found interesting. Um, right. That didn't make me write it off immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I feel like I there are so many movies that are about sort of like a bumpkin who gets in over their head, uh, which is essentially what this story is. That you know, like I, I I did still find again her performance to be really really solid. Uh, but yeah, it, it all just felt familiar, uh, and, and, you know, for this kind of, this kind of caper movie and, and not, not particularly well done, uh, uh, despite the cast. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, had a hard, hard time with this one. What are you giving it? I'm going to give it a send it back. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, it really, uh, it really, and as again, like as I'm watching it, as it's unfolding in the first act or so, I'm just kind of like, this is enjoyable. Um, But, you know, it was not because I thought it was good. It was just enjoyable. And then that enjoyability went out the window when it turned into a violent crime movie. And then I was like, oh, well, I just don't like this now. (laughs) Oh, also, I was reading apparently in a bit of casting that would have made far more sense. The Mila Kunis part was originally cast to Laura Dern. Oh. Uh, and Mila Kunis in this movie plays the half sister of Alice and Janie, and they're telling stories about like their childhood. And I'm just like, there's got to be 30 years between these two actresses. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So apparently that was meant to be Laura Dern, uh, which would have made far more sense. But good on Laura Dern that she got out of this one. <laughs> I'm giving this a consume plus. All right. So here we are. Um, here we are. <laughs> so okay. we just did a full reversal in our last two movies. I love it. Um, it's available to rent on Apple, Amazon, uh, Google Movies, and it's rated R. That's it, Jason. That's, That's it. everything. Thanks so much <laughs> for tuning into this week's episode. Um, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. Right balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge.